podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello there, my name is Miles Jupp and I'm just interrupting you as you listen to whatever it is that you actually want to listen to to tell you about the second series of Middle Please Umpire. Middle Please Umpire is a podcast that I, Miles Jupp, if you weren't concentrating when I first introduced myself only moments ago, that's not a criticism, your thoughts are your own and you must focus them wheresoever you yourself choose, host with Mark Wood, the 95 mile an hour bowling, England playing World Cup winning Northumberland hailing cricket lunatic Mark Wood. It's another series of episodes of the two of us talking about cricket and indeed any other stuff that springs to mind both with each other and also with a succession of frankly illustrious guests. We lift the lid on Mark's life as an international sportsman, basically he spends a lot of time icing himself, and take you on a whistle-stop journey through the windmills of his mind. I, a mere fan, listen agog, giggle excitedly and try and draw comparisons with my own rather more mundane existence. All episodes of Middle Please Umpire are available right now from your favourite podcast providers. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Whistleblowers Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Smith. I'm here as ever with Martin, Big Daddy Grits, Gritton. Hello, Martin. Hello, Smudge. It feels like ages since I've spoken to you. Maybe it's a lot of football's happened in between. No, I'll tell you what it feels like ages, Martin, is that we're doing a much, much later show in the week this week. Uh, we're recording this on a Thursday, so it's it's pretty heavily skewed towards a preview show, Martin. is no longer reviewing last weekend. That's too that's too long ago. I don't even remember what happened last weekend. Just tapping so it's into all about this weekend. Looking forwards. Yeah. New audiences. Let's let's hit them. Yeah, yeah, why not? And also joined as ever by Gareth Dobson. Hi Gareth. Uh you'll be pleased to know we're not talking about last weekend as your pathetic team of slugs lost <laughs> at Wembley. I mean you can only lose if you try to win. <laughs> Well, that's the name of the show, sort of, for this week. Perfect. Um, it's a big weekend of football, as it always seems to be at this time of year. Uh, biggest game of the weekend. It's still got to be United-Liverpool, hasn't it? This is still, despite the fact that United are pretty much sorted for top four and that Liverpool aren't chasing for anything more than a potential fourth spot, this is pretty much always the biggest game of any weekend they play on, isn't it, Grits? Yeah, definitely. Everyone looks out for it. So one of the few derbies that seem to retain some of its edge. Um, I, I mean, even more so now, even though you know Man United are well out of sight, it seemed of Liverpool. At the same time, yeah. it's um, bragging rights, isn't it? Always huge between these two. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if United. I mean, United obviously do care about this game because it's Liverpool. But really, this this game has been sandwiched by the Europa League semi final with Roma. Yes. Do you think there's is there any aspect here of social resting players for the Liverpool game? Will he be allowed to rest players for a Liverpool game? That's a good point. I genuinely I would be surprised if his focus wasn't solely on the Europa and actually using that as an excuse to field a weakened team so that if they do get hammered by Liverpool, he can always uh, use it as an excuse, which would probably be more plausible than what Gareth thinks on that. Yeah, Gareth. Okay, so I mean, you've got obviously you're a Spurs fan, rather with Arsenal. Let's pretend it was that way around instead. Would you be? Would United fans prefer to win the Europa League or see Liverpool finish outside the top four? I mean, it's sort of it, it. It sounds like an obvious answer, but actually, there's some pretty petty rivalry there between those two clubs, isn't there? No, I, so honestly, I thought the obvious answer is they'd rather see Liverpool fail than have their own <laughs> right, okay, moderate good. success to within the context of who Manchester United <laughs> are. I think, you know, the, the Europa League is a nice trophy to win, but I don't think that's going to say 
Man United fans in the in the wider context. But, you know, they won the Europa League a few a few years ago under yeah. Jose Mourinho, and you know there is as much joy to be had from the you know the ill fate of your you know probably most hated rivals still still um, yeah. And I also think that this is where you have some you know a manager like Solskjaer does tap into that. You know, he's so embedded in that Manchester United history now that I can't actually see a way where he doesn't try to put the mockers on on Klopp and Liverpool. And you know, like you said, bragging yeah. rights is still a thing. And it's also, I think, about setting a marker for next year. Um, they're going to be looking at Liverpool as a team who's going to be pushing them for the title and for a top two free spot. So I, I, I think that Solskjaer puts quite a lot in these psychological victories if they can get one. Yeah, United currently 13 points clear of Liverpool, a huge swing on, on this time last season. Um, if Liverpool don't get a result here, Grits, is that it for their top four chances, do you think? Uh, you would you would suspect so. I mean, they're not coming into it with particularly uh, glistening form, are they? I, I don't no. think... But they've yeah, got a nice I, run of fixtures afterwards is all. They do. I mean, I don't know what a nice run of fixtures is anymore for Liverpool. Uh, I'll tell you. Please, yeah, I'll tell you do. what these ones are coming up and we can work out if that is actually a nice run or if actually if it's full of banana skins. Um, so after United, they've got Southampton at home, West Brom away, who might be down by that point, Burnley away, and then the dreaded Crystal Palace, as if you're a Liverpool fan, uh, <laughs> taking out this season 7-0 away. That, that's a game you don't really look forward to. Um, but that, on paper... Looks like a pretty decent run-in, doesn't it? It does. If I was playing for those teams, though, I'd say the same thing. I'd go, oh, we got a yeah. chance to beat Liverpool, yeah? I'd, we've genuinely got a chance to just get under their skin because Liverpool, in most of these games, have looked like a, a dominant team and then the fragility of them is always really appealing to the opposition. It's like, oh, we just, yeah, have, right. to, just have to pick the scab on, on one of these things and see what happens. And it's been, you know, and that's why it's been quite enjoyable for the neutral, but obviously heartbreaking for Liverpool fans, I would imagine. You'd imagine, yeah. I mean, and actually, those teams I've mentioned there, they're exactly the sort of games that they've been losing this season, isn't it? I mean, Southampton at home last season's a banker. This season, you probably fancy Southampton in that one. Yeah, you probably definitely. fancy Palace yeah. at Liverpool. I mean, at Anfield, it's been an absolute bloodbath this season. Um, yeah. Gareth, this, this I, I asked you a sort of a weirdly, what I thought was a weirdly obvious question a minute ago. Um, here's another one for you, G. Jurgen Klopp, he's safe, isn't he? He's, there's, there's no doubt, there's no issues here with his his future at the club, is there? No, I don't think so from Liverpool's side. Uh, given the, the tumult of the last few weeks, I think the last thing they're going to do is blow up their project. Um, I guess the one thing you look at is the Dortmund situation where it feels like Klopp himself was the one who decided to walk away Um when he felt that, you know, he'd taken them as far as he could go, or maybe he was just quite burnt out. And, you know, for those who, who didn't follow, what happened was, you know, after these three or four runs of titles, Champions League finals, they, you know, got very close to finishing in the bottom, you know, four or five at one point. You know, they were sitting firmly in the relegations over a long time. It, it did turn out, I think people felt that they just had this extraordinarily unlucky season. But... um in terms of like, you know, goals that should have gone in just didn't go in. It was the craziest thing. There's, you know, scientific studies have been written about it. Essentially, it was like the sort of reverse XG black hole that year for right. yeah, yeah. the club's men. But yeah, the upshot of that was he did walk away. I think it was quite mentally fatiguing. And, you know, I know we all saw about how, you know, his team's pressed so hard and, you know, managing 
you know, a team like Liverpool must be psychologically quite draining. So, you know, perhaps if Klopp feels that the rebuild job is too big and, you know, he can't meet the expectations, maybe he thinks about it. But I can't see from John Henry's side that they would they would look to change things. I mean, also, I don't know who you bring in. It feels like so many big clubs have chopped and changed manager in the last year. I'm not sure how many of these, you know, managers are currently free and available. It feels like a lot of the big slots have kind of been taken. Well, Spurs have found that out, haven't they? We'll talk about Spurs later on, but there's just not that many available managers of, no. uh, you know, of a certain calibre, if you like. And the one with the, the be- with the best um, record in Jose is now no longer really, he's not really employable as a, as a football manager no. in the top division in England, at least. Um, let's talk about United grits. Um, from a striker's point of view, it looks like Cavani hasn't quite made his mind up yet on whether he's staying or not. First of all, how impressive have you been with him, given that he is the age he is, given the amount of games he's had on his legs over the last what, 12, 15 years, whatever it is, and given it's yeah. a brand new physical league? How impressive have you been and how can they replace him if he doesn't stay? I think he's... The, the way he's impressed is the fact when he, the impact that he's had when he's come on that shows you a player that has the right attitude They've cut, he's come on and made a difference in games um, he shows passion and you know people spoke so highly of him at PSG and just in terms of his work rate and his ethic I mean it must be good to have around in that regard but he's not a long term solution I mean you look no. at I was just thinking this you know I mean Harry Kane Imagine how he came at United. I mean, imagine with City, but sorry if I've, I've jumped the gun on this one. But um, sorry, yeah. But Harry Kane going to United, it's just like the sort of teams are crying out for that guy down the middle that can do the job that he does and he just brings, makes the players around him better, you know? And that's what, you know, Cavani would probably, he would be happy to say that he would be a bit part player. If you're in a top four team, it, yeah. you know, it's hard to be, it's hard to be a first name on the sheet if you're a striker, but um, you just look at, is it worth it? Because they must be paying him astronomical wages. He's got the hair of a very rich man. <laughs> Wealthy hair. Luxury. Yeah, you know, when you're on holiday. Yeah, really luxury. When you're on holiday and there's like a, there's a guy and he's sat in the bar and he's got a sort of shirt open a bit and he's got lovely long hair and you go, I just know that this man is a, a minimum trillionaire. Gareth. So um, by the pool, he'd be wearing like a sort of leopard print posing pouch. Smells, smells fantastic. It feels like we're going off track a bit with the show today. <laughs> but yeah, no, by all means, let's write a porn film about uh, Edison Cavani. Um, Gareth, obviously you wouldn't want to see Harry Kane go anywhere, I wouldn't have thought. Um, but you know, you've got a heart, you've got a soul, you understand that he should be leaving the club. Where would you least like to see him go? Uh, least like to see him go would obviously be, as a Spurs fan, another London club. It does right. feel that you know, I don't think he fits the remit of maybe Guardiola. I'm not sure he's the sort of mobile striker that I think he likes. Uh, although, you know, he has, you know, Guardiola has been playing a false nine recently and he's been playing, you know, people like Foden and uh, and Sterling and that sort. And, you know, and Kane has shown this year that he can be effective while dropping deep. Um, I don't think Kane would like to be signed as a false nine, strangely, but no, it no. does feel that, the most obvious one is Manchester United. They will spend money on older players, which is what Kane will be classed as uh, mm-hmm. going into this summer when he's 28. Um, and, you know, he's a number nine and you can see, you know, Solskjaer fetishizes that. You know, he likes Cavani because that's what he is. You know, he's a penalty box 
player. And I do think with United, they have this wealth of attacking talent, but it never feels like it really knits together. You never kind of have that dominant day usually. I mean, they had a brilliant game against City when they won a few weeks ago, but I don't think that there is that kind of set front three. You go, well, that's the three you pick every week. There isn't yeah, a yeah. Mane, Firmino, Salah that there was, you know, two years ago. And he's still, I think, trying to find that cash list, that missing piece. And, you know, apart from Rashford, I think you could argue that all of Manchester United's attacking forwards are replaceable or, or could be upgraded. And so yes. I, I think that, you know, if, if Manchester United were asked to find 100 million for, for Kane, I, I could see that happening. I, I also got, think. Oh, sorry, Congress. No, I was just going to say the only problem is obviously he's got the ankles of the bloke out of misery. I mean, like he's been just—he's <laughs> uh, an absolute. James bit. can't. Uh, I think I—I I kind of disagree with Gareth. And I'd love to see him at City because I just think they would be unstoppable. I just think he—he he so would all see that then. But I'd be just because I'm a City fan, as you know, Mark, you know, uh, the, the, the fair weather whistleblower, that's what they call me. I'll support, yeah. I'll literally support. But no, I, I just imagine him there, though, like bringing the best out of, you know, a, a fellow England players around him. Just, it would just be fascinating to see, yeah. even just and for also, a season or two. It would, and it's it like would, the... The, the the perfect Man City goal is is you know get to the byline cut back to the six yard box. Kane would just he he, he could score forty, couldn't he? Yeah, he could yeah, score 40 yeah. In the season there, it um, does also. Sorry, quickly, it does feel that Kane is the runner up prize in the uh, Erlen Harlan sweepstakes, though, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think the expectations that City will push very hard to sign him, uh, but obviously, if you're Harlan, then you know any of those top five or six perennial Champions League clubs are probably yeah. within your, your grasp. Probably a good move. But that's that's why a second ago, Gareth, you said that Pep might not want a striker like Kane because he's not as mobile. Well, Haaland is pretty similar to Kane in a way. I mean, he's similar to Kane certainly when Kane was five or six years younger. Haaland's quick and well, he's, he's extremely quick, but he doesn't work the channels. You know, he's not a sort of forward who is able to rotate with a wide player and he he works almost exclusively between the posts he's very narrow-minded in that sense totally is is that is that what pep's after do you think i mean is it a similar argument to harry kane i guess it's 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 kind of hard to know really because Gualia's only had two forwards really his time in city you know aguero who he inherited who has been i think Gualia would love to have phased him out quicker but he just he, he, he proves himself to be irreplaceable. And at the same time, you know, uh, Gabriel Jesus has, has injury issues, form issues. I mean, in fairness, you know, Jesus has has been better in the last year and a half, but yeah. I don't think he's grown into the superstar player that they, they anticipate he would be. So it's, it's I mean, maybe it's inter- more interesting to note that Guardiola has not gone out and really pushed for a striker. You know, he, he seems to prefer to collect kind of, you know, wide attackers and, you know, the fact that he's brought in uh, Ferlan Torres and, you know, he, he's he, he's leaned so heavily on Mares, who, by the way, I think is quietly, incredibly underrated for his contribution this year. He's been in their top three players easily. I think he's been unbelievable for three seasons now. I'm I'm a huge Riyad Mares fan. And I just feel sorry for not just him, but Man City forwards, wide forwards in general, because they've got so much quality that no one gets a proper run in the team for longer than four or five games. Even Sterling yeah. on the bench in the Champions League midweek. I mean, these are absolutely top class players. I don't feel sorry for them in most ways because they're still being paid a fortune, playing for a great team, winning trophies all the time. But sometimes grits, footballers, just they just want to play, don't they? 
Uh, absolutely. And also what comes from playing regularly. I mean, you talk about who can, well, Jesus is a striker. You could have Ings yeah. down the middle. If you played him every week, Ings would get as many goals as maybe Harry Kane at, um, at City, just because you could put a quality striker. So you have to put your eggs in kind of one basket. Unfortunately, Pep just doesn't do that. And obviously, no. <laughs> it stood them in good stead, though, because you look at the other teams around them that perhaps suffered more injuries for their forward players. When you've got a player like Sterling that's out of form and you can just glide through it and just get oh, away yeah. with it, it's really I mean, interesting. It's, wor- it, it's working. Yeah. I think that's that's the big exclusive from the show today is that Pep is doing a good job at Man City. <laughs> I think, is that what we can take away from this? Yeah, and to me, I love the idea. I, one day, you know, Guardiola goes, who can I... Um, what's the what's the famous play about turning the sort of uh the woman into the sort of lovely debutante is it my fair lady oh uh, maybe i don't know i don't uh, know this sense it what 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 sort of rough piece of clay can i mold into you know an amazing Ming dynasty vase and i want to see chris wood starring as the number 9 for Do you know what City. listen I was raving about him the other week. I was, right. I am a huge fan of Chris Wood. He goes and scores a hat-trick last weekend as well. Chris Wood, for Man City in that role, would score, I'm going to say it, 25 goals a season, league goals a season. He, oh, he would be phenomenal. Unplayable on his day. Unplayable. Unplayable. But, you know, in the game midweek in the Champions League, Man City were, were superb in that second half against PSG. But there were three or four times where a ball went into the box. And, you know, I know it's by design, but there was just no one really attacking it. There was no one in that six-yard box or even around the penalty spot, nothing. And you just think, get old Woodo in there, bang. <laughs> You're starting to Five sound like nil. Andy Gray. You need someone to gamble <laughs> on this. Gamble, son, just gamble. Front post, come on, son. Yeah, uh, Boris, no, I, Boris. nothing wrong with that. Boris would be calling us um, Captain Hindsight here. I think that's what Keir Starmer gets uh, labelled with, but whistleblowers, we are brilliant at saying people are really good after they just got a hat-trick the week before. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing if not I said, for, no, I uh, said it two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, you did say it was good. I did the whole bit, and you two, you two weren't even listening. I could see you twiddling around with your thumbs and on your phones. I could see you, I know, I see you now. We do it on Zoom. Okay, <laughs> let's move on. We've done United-Liverpool. Let's move on to the first game of the weekend. Uh, Friday night. Uh, we've talked about it before quite recently because it was a uh, FA Cup semi-final, but Southampton versus Leicester. Um, we worried, didn't we, Grits, about Leicester a couple of weeks ago. We thought maybe mm. they were going to be the ones to drop out the top four. Um, do you still think that? No, I think the, the resounding uh, whomping of uh, West Brom and just uh, Madison coming back in and starting to look, you know, perhaps huge, more... Yeah, it's just it just makes them tick, and they can get away with Barnes not being there, or and, and Vardy Vardy will play every other game; he'll be unplayable. And um, but Ian Acho has just been a revelation, you know. I, no one saw that coming, and I don't know. I don't even think Brendan Rodgers saw Brendan Rodgers saw it coming. I just think he was delighted to have him um, at that form because he didn't have any other options. Do you think this is um, a sign that Ian Acho is a streaky sort of striker who, who scores in bursts and then will go quiet for a bit? Or do you think it's more likely that we've now actually, we've now seen what he can do, he knows what he can do at this level, and it might be more sustained? I'm not saying he's going to go and score a goal a game for the rest of his career, but does he no. now know his, has he, has he worked out how to play at this level and how to get on the end of things at this level now, do you think? I absolutely think that. I think confidence, it comes from it, it comes from knowing that you can do it. And once you know that you can do it, you start to expect to be able to do it. And if you've got good players around you, then, you know, I don't see any issue with it. Certainly, 
it certainly doesn't look streaky, does it? I think he's just been so impressive and he's got those qualities of leading the line, which, again, we just spoke about. Very hard to find a striker that can, can do all those things and, and he's done it. Yeah, it also speaks uh, volumes again of Leicester's recruitment. And I, I know that Ian Acho was at Man City and, you know, he's highly rated there as a youngster. But Leicester don't really miss on these things, do they, Gareth? I mean, as a Spurs fan, he must be pretty jealous of that. No, yeah, not so much. I, I can't really think of any glaring errors. Amusingly, I, I think two months ago, we would have said that 25 million quid for Ian Acho was, you know, an albatross and it's gone wrong. And if he has a season, you know, next year. And I, so I think that the start of next season is going to be so big because you can only assume that Rogers will probably give him the keys to the car. Um, and he'll probably start as the main featured striker, um, either alongside Vardy or, or maybe even potentially kind of nudging him out. Vardy's yep. going to need to, you know, some, some games off. And if he can start and establish himself then you're going to look at it going forward, but like, well, he's now a 50 million, 75 million pound striker. Um, and to well, have that quickly, you think it's happened that quickly? Yeah. If, if he, someone if comes he in had... from this summer now, you think, you think Ian Acho, having had a good run of sort of two and a half, three months yeah. in a COVID marketplace, Gareth Dobson, he's now a 50 million quid player. I think so, genuinely. I mean, you know, figures right. go up and all you need is. Yeah, you know, all you need is half a good season, and I, your your value just inflates massively. And so this summer, he's a fifty million pound player. If he gets anywhere near repeating over a season what he's done since Christmas, he's he's a seventy five million pound player next summer. That's it's, Tammy it's, Abraham. Yeah, Tammy Abraham just got forty million slapped on him by Chelsea for West Ham if they were thinking about picking him up. So you start to kind of move into those sort yeah, of realms. Yeah. You're absolutely right. It's the COVID. The COVID marketplace will not support that at all, Mark. But at the same time, they're just basing it on what everyone else is worth around them. No, of course they are. Yeah, of course they are. Um, Southampton, on the other hand, they, they look safe. They're there, or what? Are they nine points clear of Fulham uh, with the game in hand. So they, you know, they're staying up this season. But what could have been a really, really great season for them, Gareth, is sort of uh, it's gone tits up, hasn't it? What's happened is Hassan Hootel safe. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm going to ask this quite a lot this this show. Mm. I'm going to ask if managers are safe because we're at that point of the season now where where you know chairmen are looking at it and thinking, well, you know, what's the momentum of the club like? What are we doing? So I'm going to ask it a few of a few people. But is is Hassan Hootel safe here at Southampton? Uh, my instinct is I don't think he's going to be the manager uh, at the start of next season for Southampton. I wonder if Southampton are actually quietly hoping someone's going to come in for him. And, uh, okay. and take him away. I mean, obviously... Spurs. Spurs. So, I genuinely, I, I could see that. I mean, he's We're obviously... we do a whole Spurs chat in the second half about managers, so don't tread no, on exactly. too much, but feel free to... There's a couple, you know, uh, Nuno is the other one. I, I think if you're looking at... If you want a programme-building manager, someone you can be like, here's the kids, here's some players we want you to improve, then, you know, I know he's, he's had some terrible games, but he's had some really good games. And I think if you look at... Southampton squad, he's probably improved most of them. He can point at someone like James Ward Prowse and just say, you know, I've made you an England international. You are yeah. essentially the new version of David Beckham. You know, he's he's the Audi David Beckham, but you know, <laughs> he has certain you know similarities and qualities there. And you know, that's appealing. But I do, you know, Southampton don't keep managers that long. Most of the time it's because people come and take them it's away. They move up, yeah, yeah. But um, so I, you know, the way that the Southampton uh, you know, club is built. It, it's built around having an infrastructure and bringing a manager in to coach those players. It's it's maybe more of a coach than a manager. So you know, I wonder if they they get some uh, some twitchy feet 
and start thinking about it. So, yeah, my instinct is one way or the other, I don't think he's going to be there next summer, this summer coming. Gritz, do you agree with that? I think Southampton Leicester is the um, uh, Spurs apprentice job. So whoever uh, out of these two, I reckon you got your next manager. Let's get let's get in the second half and talk about it. Yeah, all right, good idea. Yeah, yeah. Actually, you know what? I'm going to be running the show here, Gritz. But uh, all right, we'll have a break. <laughs> we'll have a break. After that, we'll talk more about Spurs. Uh, talk about who the manager might be um, and some other games coming up this weekend. See you in a minute. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. Welcome back to the show. Right, before the break, we were talking sort of a bit about Spurs' new manager, what their next manager might look like. Um, Gritz has gone for the shout that the winner of Leicester Southampton on Friday, uh, the winning manager, should be the new Spurs boss. The loser. Gareth, would... the, the loser, the loser. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Misunderstood. <laughs> <laughs> An unprecedented 11-10 game. Um, <laughs> Gareth, would you, would you be happy with either one of those at Spurs? Then? Hassan Hootel or Brendan Rodgers? How realistic are, are either one of those? I can't see why Brendan Rodgers would move from Leicester to Spurs. I think that that's the biggest thing. You really can't see that? No, absolutely not. I mean, why not? Because uh, I'm not sure Leicester have much less money to spend than Spurs do. I think he's in a much more stable environment. And I think he, he probably will feel that his board and his chairman are a lot more friendly to him than maybe dealing with, you know, Daniel Levy. You know, Daniel Levy has not, Apart from Pochettino, his record of appointing managers for the last years has not been great. Um, really poor. He's he lucked out a little bit with how impactful Pochettino was, um, but I'm not sure many Spurs fans would trust him to get it right. I, I, that Levy has a lot of positive marks for, for the stadium, for bringing in some of the players, for you know enhancing Spurs on a lot of levels. But getting in the Super League. Getting in the Super League, uh, last British team out, as far as I can tell. So, you know, <laughs> we won that one. Um, but I do think that, you know, if you're, a, if, if you're a manager of a team who are performing better than Spurs, which Leicester obviously are, then I, I think you have pause to, to wonder how it, it, it's going to go. And um, I suspect that, you know, I do think Nuno uh, over at, uh, at, uh, at Wolves is possibly the one he's going to look at. I mean, it's con- on the continent. I mean, after Julian uh, Nagelsmann unfathomably chose Bayern Munich over Spurs. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Ridiculous decision. Decision. <laughs> um, I'm not sure who is out there who's that kind of bigger let, name. Let, let, let's stay on Brandon Rodgers for a second, though, because Grits, I actually think that Rodgers could be tempted by Spurs. Gareth says uh, they've got no money to spend and they've got a pretty tight-fisted um, o- owner. Not owner. What's he called? Dan Levy, what's his position there? Chairman. 
chairman. chairman, is it? Okay. Quite quite a tight-fisted chairman in Dan Levy, who's not going to give me loads of money to spend. But we've already discussed Harry Kane. We've discussed the fact he might go this summer. And if Brendan Rodgers can go to uh, what I think is still probably a bigger club than Leicester, with a great new stadium, with an enormous fan base that will fill it, hypothetically, when it all opens again with some money that we might get from Harry Kane. We know that Brennan Rodgers has got a bit of an ego on him. I think there's a chance he'll take that job. I'd say so. I'd say the the London, uh, the pull of London as well. I mean, like he's probably, when was the last time he was here? Was it Chelsea um, as a coach? You know, that, that a very long time ago. I think the, the lure of getting back to a club, I think to Spurs, as impressive as Leicester are, they always feel like they're punching a little bit above their weight. Even yeah. if the club, even if the club's set up, well enough to sustain it their their marquee players just aren't quite you know the the ones that are trying to break into the England team Tottenham feels like a, a team that should have three or four regulars you know it certainly yeah, should have absolutely the, 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 the really good Leicester players the really good Leicester players they get sold to other Premier League teams mm. the really good Spurs players go to Real or you know they go to those sorts of teams that's how I think you can that, that's some barometer of the difference in size of the clubs to me, still, even though Leicester are, you know, nine points ahead of Spurs, that's not that much. That's three wins. And yeah. that's with a Jose season, which was largely just awful to watch. So I actually think, Gareth, that Brendan could, he could be the guy. And I think that of all the people that you've mentioned so far, Nuno, Hasenhutl, Rogers, we'll probably mention Ten Hag in a second. But out of all those people, um, he'd be the, the closest thing to a, a guarantee of good football and solid league position, I think, Rogers. Well, for yeah, and, win the trophy. And recruitment, though. <laughs> I think, you know, yeah, you're right. He's not exactly. But I don't know how well. much he's to do with the recruitment, though. That but could that be a whole. Yeah. I mean, like, just, or, or maybe not recruitment, say bringing through those young players and actually turning yeah. them into something. I think that Pochettino had um, an ability to to do that. And he certainly looked as though he was, he was much more keen on building his own team than Jose was, you know. But yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. If I'm honest, I think I'm trying to build the case for why he wouldn't come because I desperately do not want him to come. Why not? <laughs> why not? So I, I'm not Here keen on him. Showing your true a, colours now, Gareth. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not keen on him as a person. Um, I, I do think he's one, we've talked about this a lot, but I think he wears out on his players eventually. I do think the message stops, you know, coming through. Um, I'm still forever scarred by that Liverpool documentary with the envelopes and all that nonsense. <laughs> the envelope's great. Plus, it, it is... That easy. could be you in the envelope, Gareth. That could be I know, you. I know. In this envelope, it's one fan who I'm going to have <laughs> shot out of a can at the end of the season. Um, but there is... And there is that element where, you know, excluding, obviously, what he did with Celtic, which maybe is a different set of circumstances, it feels like he's going to perpetuate the idea of Spurs or a team that could impress but never get over the line. Um, I mean, you know... He, he'll say that's very unfair and he's always done very well with all the teams. And, you know, if certain things were different, you know, he could have a bigger haul of trophies. The other thing is we could be talking in four weeks, three weeks time, and he could be the reigning FA Cup holder, um, which I think would be a huge deal for Leicester and for him. Um, so, yeah, it will be very interesting to see how that, that kind of shakes out. I think that might even, oddly enough, define its legacy. I mean, some clubs obviously devalue the FA Cup, or um, I think for a team like Leicester, that is a huge, huge win to go get if they get it. And it would be, ma- that'd be massive, yeah. And that would also define his entire uh, management of that uh, yes. of that club. I think that would make him undoubtedly a success to get top four and win a major trophy with with Leicester, even though they've won it 
the Premier League quite recently. This feels like a completely different era, even to that in 2015. Um, okay, let's talk about um, the two English clubs that competed in the Champions League semi-final this week. Let's talk about Palace Man City, first of all. Um, Grits, this is just going to be Man City just steamrolling through with the weakened team, isn't it? I say weakened, the second <laughs> string, which are already brilliant. Well, I mean, Palace are an odd one, aren't they? But you would expect City to not have any problems uh, turning them over here. I think Zaha actually getting back on the score sheet against Leicester the other night was nice to see for Palace. Yeah. I would imagine that adds a little bit of spice and a bit of a distraction. But, I mean, City can be distracted, particularly this time of the season, you know, when, when they're kind of run away with the league and they are probably so focused on the Champions League. But uh, you're absolutely right. There's players that haven't had a game for a couple of weeks that are probably itching yeah. to get out of the pitch and do some damage. Torres, so. Sterling all to prove a point. Do you, uh, what did you think of Man City midweek against PSG? Oh, incredible, weren't they? They were just so good. That second half performance, as good as, you know, just just thrilling to watch. And also to see that the, the best of the Premier League go up against, you know, so-called best teams in Europe and just show them what they can do. And it's kind of, you almost feel that little paternal pride, especially I do as, as a Man City fan. So, um, you know, it was great. <laughs> yeah. Um, were Man City brilliant, Gareth? Or were PSG... Um a bit underwhelming in that second half. Were they, were, they, were they overwhelmed by Man City and underwhelming themselves? I think Guardiola was brilliant in terms of the changes he made in the second half. Um, you know, at PSG played very well in the first half and it did look like City were hanging on a bit and you know, Guardiola, Guardiola made the decisive changes and then I, I think uh, you know, City were quite ruthless and they they you know took advantage of their, their opportunities. The only question is whether they should have pushed for a third goal after the sending off um uh, in the game and you know one it it's it's one and a half goals if you want to get into the semantics away goals but you know it's not uh, an insurmountable lead especially you know, obviously with a team as good as as PSG but I I do think that you know City get credit for um for how they came out in second half, especially so, you know, Guardiola has been accused of outthinking himself in the Champions League and, you know, almost obsessively tinkering and second guessing his own, you know, sort of natural game plan. And this time, it, it, this year, they seem to have much more sort of purpose of clarity. They seem to really know what they're doing. And I think maybe that fact that there was almost the identity crisis he had halfway through the season when he said, I don't like my team. I don't like the way we're playing. I'm going to have to, you know, change it all up. And he's done that. And I think he's probably now so kind of committed to what he's doing. He's not going to change it for the rest of the year. And they, I think this might actually be the year where they, where they, where they win it. And especially if there's, I can't see them not beating Chelsea or, Real Madrid in, if they get to the final. Despite the FA Cup game? Despite the FA Cup game. The FA Cup game, you know, Guardiola won't admit it, but he basically rested and, you know, he, he put it down on the list of priorities. I think, yeah, know, the Champions League is something else entirely different. The, the, white- one thing, the one thing I'd be concerned about if I was a Man City fan like Martin is that uh, they beat PSG and they were excellent second half. But they didn't really create that much. I mean, the, the goals were, you know, the first one was one of those lovely balls in from De Bruyne and the keeper can't move until it's gone past the last man's head, right? So it, And it's ended up just going in. You wouldn't count that as a chance. The second one is a free kick, which the wall is disintegrated on. And they didn't really go for the third, like you say. So I wonder if, I wonder if that's one thing that they'll be a bit concerned about in that second leg, because I can't see uh, PSG not scoring at the Etihad. Mm. I... No, I agree. I, I do think there is very much, uh, you know, 
a tie to play for in the second leg. It's not cut and dried. But, you know, this is the cut and thrust of, of the Champions League. In theory, there shouldn't be 10 opportunities a game. Paris Saint-Germain have tightened up a lot this year. You know, the, the crazy helter-skelter game against uh, uh, Bayern and the, the prior semi-final last year, I think they're a different team now. And, yeah, that mm. speaks a little bit to Pochettino. I think it generally speaks to the way that the team is set up. You know, they brought in Danilo and um, they've got really good, solid holding players and they're all working a lot harder as well now. So it yeah, doesn't yeah. surprise me too much that they're, they're a bit more compact. They're a bit less kind of, you know, free Roman expressive. And they've realised that the whole team doesn't have to go and attack because all, all you need is two players of the quality of Mbappe and, and Neymar and you give them the ball, you, you have quick counters and they're, and they're deadly still. So... It doesn't surprise me they didn't have that many chances. Um, it's more a case of the opportunities they had, they did take advantage of. Yeah, they didn't need to open up and try and be more expansive, did they, once they had the uh, the two goals. Uh, okay, let's talk about um, Chelsea-Fulham. Uh, Chelsea midweek grits. Uh, I thought that they were, um, in that first half in particular, Chelsea were very good against Real. And yet, Real Madrid just showed that they, they know what they're doing at this level. Like, even with a you know, half strength side, even not playing that well, Benzema still pops up and scores what was a lovely goal and, and, and keeps them very much in this tie. Yeah, you've got you've got to take your chances against them, haven't you? You've got to put two or three on them and then just make yeah. them disintegrate. And unfortunately if you get you put one Pulisic was just sensational for that that first half. It just it, it, yeah. just such a transformation for him. But I, I find it interesting these the you know like we were saying um about uh, City versus uh, PSG. The Premier League teams are just they just do look a, a lot sharper and a lot more dominant than than their European counterparts at the minute. I don't know, I don't yes, quite know I what agree. it is, but you're absolutely right that Real will find a way to get back in it. But I, I, I could see City steamrolling uh, PSG at home. I just, I just you just get the feeling that something like something crazy could happen, and I very, I very much think that Chelsea could do the same to to Real. I think, I think. Playing Chelsea is probably Man City's worst nightmare in the final because just yeah, I, because I of, think yeah I think they got in their heads at the FA Cup. I know that you're absolutely right, Gareth. It was it it, it, it doesn't mean anything, but it kind of does because I think this City team with and Tuchel would be the perfect boss to to kind of put some thought into it and and if his players turn up on the day because yeah. there's no essentially there's no pressure on Chelsea. Chelsea are the no lose gamble at the minute. It's like well, absolutely you, know, you take a punt and that's and the they've sort been of, there before. They, they, yeah. They've got as a club, it's not such a big deal that they would be in a Champions League final. They've been in it a few times, right? Yeah. It's it's different from Man City. Like Gareth said, this is the biggest thing Man City want to win the biggest thing that they could possibly imagine winning, as it is for most clubs, but this will be the first time it's happened. Now, if we think that Pep is someone who sometimes does overthink things, as he has done in previous quarterfinals, and you know he didn't so much in the, the PSG game, but in, he has done in the past, ramp that up to 11 for the final against a team managed by someone who's so tactically astute as Tuchel, who's got so much of, so much strength and depth in, in, in attacking attacking positions, I think it is Pep's worst nightmare mm. as a potential yeah. final. And by the way, I think there's going to be Chelsea-Man City in that final, and I think there's going to be Arsenal-United in the other one. All British affair for the second time in three seasons. I uh, just just got a feeling, Grits. Why do you think it is, though, Mike? And you mentioned a second a second ago that the English team seemed to be looking sharper. I mean, what What is that? Do you agree with that, Gareth? I mean, because I, 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 I definitely think that Grits is onto something there. They, they do. I... I'm not sure whether it just a certain point, you know, Barcelona, uh, 
Barcelona are obviously a, a team with a lot of issues personnel wise and and behind the scenes. And I just think this this might be one of those years where all these dominant superpower teams just are having an off year. You know, Bayern Munich did so much last year that it's almost inevitable that you're not going to repeat that uh, next time round. And you know, these things these things are cyclical. I, I remember you know. 15 years ago, it felt like English teams were in the final every year for a number of years. And then they didn't turn up in the final for another five years. And um, I don't think you can put too much stock into it because the players and the personnel for these teams aren't different, that different from last year. Say, you know, this isn't that much of a different city team. And um, I think a lot of things just will come together in a certain year for for clubs. and, and, And that's the nature of it. I just think on another point on that, I just think the league being a kind of foregone conclusion now is taking a little bit of the stress out of it. The league, the league seemed to be such a draining thing last season, uh, and, and it was brilliant for that reason. But now the focus is very much on European competitions for the English teams, and I, and I like the way that they've kind of gone about it. You talk about the German teams; German teams are the only ones I would have said like Dortmund and Bayern. I would have horrible teams to play in the Champions League. Take the knockout, and because they don't have to play them now, or they've knocked them out already. Yeah, I yeah. think that you know it's a really good position for the British teams. In yeah, I'm of, looking forward to it. Sorry, in terms of uh, uh, Chelsea and the uh, Champions League, they, they have the most interesting situation in, in terms of qualification for next year. So they in their, uh, they have Fulham this week, but then after that, it's Liverpool, Leicester, and Man City, um, and you know games that you wouldn't expect them to lose them all, but they could feasibly lose them all. And, you know, that's the window that exists for Liverpool and to an extent Everton, but I don't think we think they're consistent enough. But of all the teams who, you know, could still drop out, I do think it's Chelsea. I suspect they're going to, I think the top four will remain as it is. Um, I think, you know, West Ham have just lost too many key players just at the wrong time. They've got a manageable kind of final run of games, but, you know, I think that Chelsea will sort of grimly hang on. It, it's incredible that they're the only team historically I can think of who will just sack a manager halfway through a season and then improve to the point of winning trophies. You know, obviously you can compare it to the Dean Matteo season when he won won the Champions League, and but it he seems he delegated his way to the Champions League. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely incredible. You know, Avram Grant came in and got them to the final against Manchester United in the. Uh, yeah, in the 2000s and yeah, it's, yeah. it's bizarre I don't know how that club does it it almost defies all convention well this is this is the mad thing when they last sacked uh, Lampard last wasn't it so this is the thing you have really high profile um, football pundits Gary Lineker or whoever coming out after Lampard got sacked and saying something along the lines of you know Chelsea sacking another manager they never learn and you think no actually this is exactly how Chelsea do things they they work on a new manager bounce and they let that go new manager bounce and they go right Good, win, win, win. New manager bounce, new manager bounce, new manager bounce. And then it stops. And then they sack him. And they let a new one come in and they do it again. And they do this over and over again, rinse and repeat. And it's actually brought them great success. Last 20 years, consistently winning trophies. It shouldn't work. But for some reason, the, the framework of that club is set up perfectly for it. So, you know, who are we to say anything? Tuchel will flame out again in a year or two. But do it, bouncing, win again. Bounce, bounce these human beings out, in and out. Bounce them up and down, and bounce them out, and then get yeah. The but bounce. you bounce them out. Yeah, it's, it sounds bounce. it sounds horrible, but they're getting paid off for it, and that is a premium they are willing to pay in order to to maintain the success. They are the most successful club still in England in terms of trophies over the last fifteen years. I think it is Chelsea aren't going to shag you, Mark. Chill out. And they, they are. Them. And they what's are. interesting <laughs> is that behind behind the 
the manager bit, they are actually an incredibly stable club. You know, that yeah. framework has now been in place for a long time under Abramovich with the, the manager oh, and the player person. We're, we're, all, we're all Chelsea now, aren't we? Jeez, listen and to you two harping on. Never, ever say that again. Gareth's <laughs> a Chelsea fan. What? Listen, Chelsea, Chelsea's my local team. So I, I could walk across the bridge, roly-poly into Stamford Bridge. I should, that they should be, I should get a Chelsea shirt. Is it Autoglass? Are they still the sponsors? They're love, oh, a massive cause fan. light. It's cause light, mate. It's Big cause, fan. yeah. It's that, it's that delicious, gray and orange shirt. That del- delicious cause light, my favourite of all the beers. All right, right look, look, this has gone off the rails. Let's go home. <laughs> I'm already home, but We're already let's home. get to someone else's home. Let's go. Uh, Gareth Dobson, thank you for joining me. Martin Gritton, as ever, thank you for joining me. This has been the Whistleblowers Podcast. If you want to get in touch with the show, you can uh, get us on Twitter at the fo- what is it at Football Podcast. Yeah. Football Podcast. Get us on there. Um, tell your friends about the show. Review it. Whatever. I don't really care. Just listen if you want, and if you don't, just you know, just enjoy yourselves. Get on with it. Get on with it. Right. Cheers, guys. Uh, Cheers. Thank you for joining me and see you guys. Thank you for listening. See you guys next week. Bye. Bye. This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network.